Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Okay, let's go ahead and open up to Leviticus chapter 11. Last week, I had the joy of going through chapter 10 with you all. And that was a really impactful chapter for me, uh, thinking of the death of Nadab and Abihu. Uh, Today, I don't think we need to prepare the tables for altar calls. We're looking at clean and unclean animals today. So Leviticus have some of those turns where where you you read it and you're thinking, okay, um, how do I apply this to my life? I've had several funny, humorous moments with my Lord with a cup of coffee and looking at this chapter. You know, you see several people on social media with a a devotional or their Bible, their, their cup of coffee, and they're just relaxing, meditating on the Word of God. And I'm just... I feel like I have a whoopee cushion and a fluorescent light in my Bible. I'm thinking, there's a joke. Like, like, how can I find something that will help enrich my soul and encourage the saints? And the pressure was on. Pressure is still on because it's still before me, to be honest. But I think that there are some beautiful things that we can learn from this. And I think this helps inform us on the situation that Israel was in. Um, during their ancient times. We have different struggles. Um, We have different goals set before us, different things that the Lord has called us to. We are so far removed from these saints of old that we sometimes don't consider the basic challenges they had to face. In preparation for this, thinking about the different dietary restrictions placed on them and, and, and just diets in and of themselves, a lot of memories flooded into me. Um, There is one diet, and I forget the name of it. Praise be to God. It was awful. During seminary, Amber and I decided we would do this. Is it South Beach? South Beach diet. You will lose joy and weight (laughs) on this thing. No bread, no sugar, no fellowship. Um, I don't remember any time in my life I had been that angry for that long. And Amber's the Barnabas in the family, just trying to encourage me and remind me of the benefits, and I'm trying to tell her I am in pain, I am in agony, and you're not my friend. (laughs) Diets can set people apart. You ever tried to observe a kosher diet before? We think about Jews today and how they observe things that are kosher. There's a curiosity within me. Um, There's just the overwhelming task of thinking, man, having to be so particular and precise and careful in something. It makes me wonder, like, what are the benefits you receive? Is it for you physical? Is it spiritual? Is it it just tying you to generations before you? Kind of, how does that serve you? And then there are some, and I will say kindly, hokey people that want to create kind of their own holy diet, believing that it adds to their sanctification, and they are now level two Christian because they don't eat this or they don't eat that. And those people I love to death. 
Uh, Amber and I have relatives that had certain kind of breads or cereals that they ate because a Bible verse was on the package and it was presented or preserved a certain way. And we just say, God bless you. I'm going to Dunkin' Donuts and you do what you want to. That's fine. Um, I don't think you're a higher level Christian in holiness. I just think you're disciplined. So that can be good. I'm hoping that as we go through Leviticus, we come across obscure chapters like 11 and we we remove some of the mysticism or some of the idea that I'm going to create my own special sect of Christianity and then we're going to flex towards others. The hilarious thing about chapter 11 is many of the animals that are listed here are linguistic guesses. The people translating this that know Hebrew, they didn't do so with a zoology book and say that is the exact rabbit Moses was talking about here. Not only that, not only is it hard for us to find the words to tag on an animal, this was thousands of years ago. Animals migrate. Some become extinct. New things kind of show up. So to know exactly what is happening, mammal for mammal, bird for bird, fish for fish, insect for insect, it's virtually impossible. But I still want us to go through this and consider what Yahweh is instructing Israel to be obedient in. Again, before we even get to verse 1, thinking about diet though, what's the first diet you can think of in the Bible? How about like chapter 2 of the Bible? He presents Adam and Eve in this garden. You are not to eat of this tree. Why? Is the tree too good? Is it, is it so dangerous? Is it, is it easy for us to, to choke on? Is it poisonous? Why on earth did God establish a diet first thing? And a diet is a very practical way in which someone can show obedience, submission, and purity. I don't think it's a wrong application maybe to try and exercise some exercise on what you eat. But thinking about that was the first thing placed before Adam and Eve. Enjoy each other. Enjoy this world. Build a garden and expand it. And watch your diet. And it proved they were not submissive. And it proved that they esteemed themselves greater than God's law. And it proved that they thought thought there were delights beyond God's goodness and provision. And so they ate. Let's go ahead and go through chapter, or chapter 11, 1 through 8. We'll be dividing this into a lot of clusters because I do know this is overwhelming. And most likely your life verse is not in this chapter. <laughs> if it is, um, wow. Okay, so. <laughs> the Lord spoke again to Moses and said to Aaron, saying to them, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, these are the creatures which you may eat from all the animals that are on the earth. Whatever devise a hoof, thus making split hoofs, and choose the cud among the animals, that you may eat. 
Nevertheless, you are not to eat of these among those which chew the cud or among those which divide the hoof, the camel, for though it chews cud, it does not divide the hoof. It is unclean to you. Likewise, the shafan, for though it chews cud, it does, it does not divide the hoof. It is unclean to you. The rabbit also, for though it chews cud, it does not divide the hoof. It is unclean to you. And the pig, for which it divides the hoof, thus making a split hoof, it does not chew cud. It is unclean. You shall not eat of their flesh, nor touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. So if you notice at the beginning of this chapter, Moses and Aaron are together. In chapter 10, Yahweh approaches Aaron alone after the death of his sons, Nadab and Abihu. And the Lord is saying, I still am to use this priest. He is acceptable. He is your high priest. He works and functions as a mediator. But that was rare for Aaron to be alone with the Lord. We're going to see him coupled with Moses from now on. 11.1, chapter 13, verse 1. Chapter 14, 33. Chapter 15, 1. Moses is going to be with Aaron as the Lord gives purification instructions. And the reason for this is Aaron has been charged with the task that he is to teach the people as they come before him at the tabernacle with their offerings. As they come before the Lord seeking to worship him Aaron needs to know what is acceptable and appropriate and what is not. And Aaron has been told, you are to discern what is clean, unclean, holy, and profane. So clean and unclean is going to be something that just simply is not appropriate. It doesn't have to have a moral significance about it. So you could accidentally touch the carcass of an animal and that doesn't show that you're a mean scoundrel just mad at God. There's nothing moral about it. Think about King David as he watched the sheep. He's told that he was someone who could defend them from bears and lions. So David might be unclean for a day because he's obedient in tending to the flock. But then there are those things that are profane and that are evil. And that requires also that we handle ourselves rightly before presuming we're okay before the Lord with an offering. So there's a couple of different things that people suspect and scratch their heads with. Um, with why these animals, Lord? Why can't Israel eat these? And we see the, the two main things with these animals that are first approached, these land mammals, is they must be divided at the hoof, verse 4. Sorry, verse 3. And also at verse 3, they must chew the cud. So what's so special about a divide hoof or chewing the cud is what we're all left scratching our heads wondering. Why the significance here? Some people believe that these have been marked out because those that don't have hoofs that are distinct in this way or, or those that um, 
don't chew the cud, maybe they're unhealthy animals. Or maybe there's a danger in eating them. You hear this a lot about pork. A lot of people won't eat pork. God bless you. Um, because of some of the things attached to it that aren't healthy. I'm going to eat pork till I die. You, you do what you want to do with pork, okay? But if you go through this entire list and you think about how the ancients cooked pork, beef, lizard, duck, whatever it might be, all of it had a high potentiality of being dangerous if not handled correctly. So I don't believe that the Lord is saying you can't have these animals because they're unhealthy. And in the New Testament, the Lord declares all things clean. So what's going on there? Well, now that you know me, you can die young. I don't think that's what the Lord's saying here. Some people believe, well, it's because of cultic worship. And I think that there's some possible truth in that. You're not to touch these certain animals because they are known to be in cultic practices. But goats and calves are like one of the most popular animals used in sacrifice. Some people, and I think this holds some weight. The Lord requires that they offer animals that are common. Not overly wild or exotic, or unknown, but there's something good in what is already known and observed and simple. Nothing exotic. I think even greater is these animals are not predators. God is the God of life. And you're not supposed to eat something that feasts on the blood. So you have to be clean in that what is on your diet is something that eats from the field, regurgitates and, and cycles it through and makes it clean and instead of something that hunts for game. And this one sounds really wacky, but this is the one that I, I'm kind of convinced with. The animal's relation to the ground. I know that sounds kind of weird. But the land, the earth, is cursed. Those things that slither on its belly are not to be eaten. Those things that have its bare foot on the ground is not to be eaten. But those things that are elevated and raised are seen as clean. And I might be weird in that. Um, at least I eat pork. I need to stop with those jokes. If you don't eat pork, I apologize. You're just healthier and more self-controlled than me. Now, uh, notice how this sets Israel apart. Just this section right here. It makes them radically different from their neighbors. They're in a wilderness. They are limited on their resources. We don't have to go very far until we hit a Hardee's. And before that, we have a supermarket. We can get food readily. They don't have a refrigerator. They don't have preservatives outside of salt to keep things edible for a long period of time. It is the Lord that feeds them in the morning with manna. And God has said to them, you're in the wilderness and you are restricted on what you can hunt and what you can eat. Do you see the sacrifice there and the dependence on God? Imagine a son one day going out with a spear or with a bow and arrow or something or a sling. And the dad's saying, no, not that. Why not? 
It's easy pickings here. It's unclean. There's a submission here. It also reminds them the daily task of eating brings them to the holiness of God. I have a mom that likes to do, she likes to make lists and she has certain exercises and disciplines throughout her day. She has three earrings, I believe, and in every morning she brushes her teeth, she puts on her three earrings, and while doing so, she says a particular prayer um, in, in relation to someone in the family, or she thanks God about something, or she works on a memory verse. Those little devices that she has, she uses it rightly to think about the things of God. That's a beautiful thing about our church. We have all these different things of which we partake in. We will have a benediction. We do the Lord's Supper, song, sermon, scripture, confession. These are great ways for us to connect and remind ourselves what God has done. So this diet here remember, reminds them when they are to eat, they are to keep themselves separate and holy. And I believe this also serves as a beacon for them being holy because pagan nations, the Gentiles look at the Jews and they think how, how peculiar they are. As we get further into Leviticus, we'll see this. They, their wardrobe has to be specific their diet is specific. Their calendar is specific. Swine were very cheap and affordable. You can multiply pigs very quickly, and every ancient people enjoyed that simple fact. You want quick and ready meat, you'll have the pig. When it comes to their Sabbath rest, other nations looked at them and thought, these people, not only are they snooty with what they eat, they're lazy. Spend a complete 24 hours of the day doing nothing to their invisible God. I'm going to keep working and get ahead. There's a submission here. I don't think this is easy for them. But there's a comfort in what they are doing honors the Lord. So now we're going to look at verse 9 through 12. And this is uh, animals of the waters. These you may eat, whatever is in the water. All that has fins and scales, those in the water, in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat. But whatever is in the seas and in the rivers and does not have fins and scales... Among all the teeming life of the water and among all the living creatures that are in the water, they are detestable things to you and they shall be abhorrent to you. You may not eat of their flesh and their carcasses you shall detest. Whatever in the water does not have fins and scales is abhorrent to you. I believe the law of what is common or simple applies here. And I think that's all I can really present to you is the Lord is saying, I want you to eat what you know, what is safe, and what is good. So because of that, they have those restrictions. That means no mussels, no clams. I love octopus, no octopus. 
they're to abstain for that. It's unclean. It's abhorrent. They could, you know, they can't do what they want with their body. Even if it makes perfect sense to them. Even if it's all they're catching that day. They're to submit. Beloved, I look at this and I think that makes no sense. And I want to sympathize with you. There are some things maybe your parents tell you. There's maybe some commands the Lord has said and it makes no sense. But let me encourage you to be clean. To do what is good. And to submit yourself to what the Lord has said. You might think diets are so simple. There are so many simple things that the world would entice you to do. It's no big deal. It's a big deal if the Lord has said not to. And just leave it at that. If the Lord has said no, it's a big deal. So now we're going on to animals of the sky in verse 13 through 20. These, moreover, you shall detest among the birds. They are abhorrent, not to be eaten, the eagle and the vulture and the buzzard and the kite and the falcon in its kind, every raven in its kind, and the ostrich and the owl and the seagull and the hawk in its kind, and the little owl and the cormorant and the great owl and the white owl and the pelican and the carrion vulture and the stork and the heron in its kind and the hoopoe and the bat. All the winged... Oh, sorry, and I'll stop there. So it appears that almost everything that has wings is restricted from their diet. We know that's not true. Uh, turtle doves are allowed to be offered before the Lord. Most of these are carnivorous as well. They hunt for prey, and for that reason, I think that they are to abstain uh, from that. And it's in this list particular where we find the most complex vocabulary and having the most difficulty in knowing what animal is what. So depending on your translation, you were either able to follow me very easily or you just were scratching your head thinking, where did that pop up? Going to verse uh, 20 through 23. These are the insects that they are allowed to eat or not allowed to eat. All the winged insects that walk on all fours are detestable to you. Yet these you may eat among all the winged insects which walk on all fours. Those which have above their feet jointed legs with which to jump on the earth. These of them you may eat, the locust and its kind, and the devouring locust and its kind, and the cricket and its kind, and the grasshopper and its kind. But all other winged insects which are four-footed are detestable to you. So you might have the first distraction of it's an insect. Yes, it's insects. The Lord is going to be blessing some and also saying others are not clean. Um, If you are in middle school, you probably know insects have how many legs? Come on. Six. Kids, you're failing me here. Yes, so why is he mentioning four? And that's a, that's a euphemism or that's just an artistic way of saying these insects, they crawl. What makes them clean is they have a joint on their feet. So it elevates them in a sense when they're on the ground. 
So if they can, they can jump, if they can fly, it's clean. And if it slithers, not so much. When um, going through my study of this, um, Albert Moeller, the president of the seminary I went to, actually preached through Leviticus. And he confessed that he ate a bug when he was 12. Um, it's not that appetizing to think about. I've eaten a bug before too. Not that appetizing. But when you are desperate for food, and some cultures are seen as delicacies and great options, you eat what you can. This is a day and age where you cannot be picky. You have to make sure that you have enough strength for, the t- for today and that you'll be prepared for tomorrow. I want you to think about some of the famines that hit God's people of old. To actually be in a state where you have to go to the field and look for that which hops or which flies. And to evaluate its foot and its joint. We have in verse 24 through 40 the things that bring defilement and how they are to care for themselves if they handle uh, these animals. So we have creatures of the land in verse 24 through um, 28. By these, moreover, you will be made unclean. Whoever touches their carcasses becomes unclean until evening. And whoever picks up any of the carcasses shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. Concerning all the animals which divide the hoof, but do not make a split hoof, or which do not chew cud, they are unclean to you. Whoever touches them because, uh, becomes unclean. Also, whatever walks on its paw among all the creatures that walk on all fours are unclean to you. Whoever touches their carcasses become unclean until evening. And the one who picks up their carcasses shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. They are unclean to you. So there are some distinctions in this that if you simply touch the dead body of an unclean animal, you are unclean. Now you could touch an unclean animal that was alive. That was allowed. You couldn't offer it, you couldn't eat it, but you could shoo it away. You could even ride on it or use it for whatever you might need to use an animal's strength for. But if it died and you touched it, you were to be unclean, but only unclean for a day. Now this is good news because we live in a world where we don't know what's going to happen in just a couple of moments from now. And we can have the best intentions of what we do and have a plan for the day. But then imagine if you're going to present something to the Lord. You want your sins forgiven. You want to show appreciation and gratitude for what he's done. And then all of a sudden you come in contact with a dead insect or a dead animal. You can't. It's not because you're wicked or you're evil, but it's inappropriate. You're unclean. So in those situations, if you touched a carcass, you would have to just wait for the evening. And the next day, you would be clean. Now, if you actually had to handle and move the carcass, Moses and Aaron instruct the people, well, then you wash your clothes and you wait the evening it's that simple 
praise the Lord that it wasn't a higher demand that was placed on them. Some of them don't live in really nice houses yet, but are in tents. They have to defend and protect their home, and there's wild animals all over the place. Simply wash and wait the evening, and tomorrow you will be fine. Uh, Going over into uh, verse uh, 29 through 38. Now these are to you the unclean among the swarming things which swarm on the earth, the mole and the mouse and the great lizard in its kind, and the gecko and the crocodile and the lizard and the sand reptile and the chameleon. These are to you unclean among all the swarming things. Whoever touches them, they are dead. Uh, uh, when they are dead, becomes unclean until evening. Now I'm going to go over to verse 32 through 38. Basically the same instructions. And now it's going to talk about how to keep things clean or handle your environment if a dead animal falls on it. Again, might not sound fascinating to you. But this is important to them if they're desiring to be faithful to God. So for them and this law, it was important. Verse 32, also anything on which one of them may fall when they are dead becomes unclean, including any wooden article or cloth or a skin or a sack, an article of which use is made. It shall be put in the water and be unclean until evening. Then it becomes clean. So they don't have to get rid of all of their fabrics or all the utensils in which they use. They can simply be washed. But we come to earthenware in verse 33. As for the earthenware vessels unto which one of them may fall, whatever is in it becomes unclean, and you shall break the vessel. Now because clay vessels are porous, it could absorb this sickness or this uncleanliness and this is cheap material so the Lord says break it and crush it and do not use it if you wash it this porous vessel it's not going to clean it so instead do it away and start over now we have food in verse 34 any of the food which may be eaten on which water comes shall become unclean and any liquid which may be drunk in Uh, Every vessel shall become unclean. Everything, moreover, on which part of their carcass may fall becomes unclean. An oven or a stove shall be smashed. They are unclean. All shall continue to be unclean to you. Now, in verse 36, talks about water that's not in a basin, but a cistern or a river. Uh, Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern collects water shall be clean, Though the one who touches their carcass shall be unclean. If a part of their carcass falls on any seed for sowing which is to be sown, it is clean. Though if water is put on the seed and a part of their carcass falls on it, it is unclean to you. I want you to stop and think for a moment, okay? If we had someone from a different country that lived in a jungle, came here, They are in a car with you and they saw a red light and the car all all of a sudden stops. What would you explain to them? You explain to them that this is a warning. When this light is red, we do not go forward. 
A couple of miles later, you come to another light, and it's red, but it's flashing. You stop for half a second, and you go forward. A couple of miles later, you see another red light, and you just slowly turn right because you see the yield sign for you. The person who is not from your world thinks you have just broken the law two times with me because this says we're supposed to stop. You did that one time. The second time, it was only for a moment. And then that last time, you scoundrel, you didn't, even, you didn't stop. You just kept going. With different circumstances come different applications of the law. And that is simply what Yahweh is explaining to Moses and to Aaron here. With different applications of the law come different consequences. Uh, cons- context and consequences so if there is a spring and the water is living and it is active it is good but if the water is still and a carcass touches it it is not clean if there is seed that is not yet germinated and planted and a carcass touches it the the seed's good as long as it hasn't started to produce itself but if it has well then you're simply to leave it alone Verse 41. Now every swarming thing that swarms on the earth is detestable, not to be eaten. Whatever crawls on its belly, whatever walks on all fours, whatever has many feet, in respect of every swarming thing that swarms on the earth, you shall not eat them, for they are detestable. Do not render yourselves detestable through any of the swarming things that swarm. And you shall not make yourselves unclean with them so that you become unclean. And the reason, verse 44, for I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. And you shall not make for yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm on the earth. For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy, for I am holy. In the summary, this is the law regarding the animal and the bird and every living thing that moves in the waters and everything that swarms on the earth to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the edible creature and the creature which is not to be eaten. So I think what we can learn from this really unique chapter is that God's people sometimes are marked set apart in very unique ways there are some laws in which we still rest ourselves under and the world would say that's a bit much that makes no sense I mean just think about how you pursue someone why would you abstain why would you hold restriction why wouldn't you try them out? Why don't you put yourself in a domestic situation and just see how it goes for six months or a year or five years? This could crash. Why do you control your speech? Don't you know that just it's best to get it off of yourself and to be easy on yourself and just tell the truth? And you put the attribute truth on it when you want to be a jerk. Um, 
Why do you control your tongue? Why do you control your thoughts? Why do you control your thoughts? They're your thoughts. It's your mind. You can think what you want to think. You can meditate on what you want to meditate on. You can escape to wherever you need to escape. And we're told to keep our thoughts captive. And to meditate on what is good and what is pure and holy. This chapter shows us that we are set apart and oftentimes we look foreign to the world. This chapter looks foreign to me. And in our age, we should look foreign, loving, but foreign to the world. These daily diet practices remind us God is holy. God just isn't loving and understanding and compassionate and merciful and mighty to save. But God is holy. Let's live clean lives in the daily activities that we perform. And when no one is there, let's still encourage ourselves to live holy. And I believe this law reminds us to seek his holiness. No, son, we're not going to kill that animal. We're seeking and we're longing after God's holiness. We want to approach him. We want to find him in our obedience. We want to serve him with clean hands. Let's seek the Lord. I'm going to do it. So Jesus talks a little bit about the dietary laws in Matthew and Mark 7. And I only bring this up um, because there are those in our day and age that, that would try and produce a heavy law and place it upon you and, and try and tell you that you really can't follow the Lord unless you observe Old Testament laws. Or they might say there's two roads and two salvation. And I would kind of like to speak on that. So in Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 14, the word of the Lord says, After he called the crowd to him again, this is Jesus, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if he goes into him, if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and it is eliminated. Thus, he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. Saints... Believers are told to pursue moral purity and sanctification. That's what we have been called to do by our Lord and Savior. And in several passages, you'll find these same elements of the law 
and its dietary system being placed aside and us urged to be pure of heart, which we are able to do by the power of the Spirit. You don't need to turn here, but I'll just simply read 1 Peter chapter 1, 13 through 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let that be our aim today. That we be holy before our Lord. That we be distinct from this world. And that we find gladness in it. Let's bow in prayer. True and living God, I thank you so much for your word. And I thank you that you have provided a way in which we can come before you. That we no longer do so with rams or with oxen or with sheep. But that we come before you in Christ. Holy Spirit, assist us as we seek to be holy. We pray that you would kill sin within us. We pray that you would grant us a victory. And that in this, your goodness would be on display. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Now is the time in which...